Welcome to the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. I am Becca Kephart, and I'm very happy to have back with me in the studio, Nova Pleat. How's it going, Nova? Oh, none too shabby. Glad to be here. How are you? I am well. And Kim Janola. What's up, Kim? I am so exhausted. I am so exhausted, too. <laughs> That's the, my fault. <laughs> no, no. It, yesterday, we all played the Kansas City Diva Spring Fever, sure and did. it is a great women's event it's one of the the most fun i ever have playing any tournament of the year except for this year and it's no fault of the organizers it's no fault of the event it's no fault of the players it's just that it rained the entire week leading up to the event and we played in about two to three inches of mud and that is exhausting both physically and mentally which so. is funny because it was exhausting that part for sure. But the cloudiness and the coolness gave me so much life. I had more energy at the end of that tournament than I ever have before. Meanwhile, so. the solar powered individuals <laughs> over here are starved for vitamin D going, why won't the sun come out? I know. So you got a lot of lethargic people and a Becca at the end of the tournament bouncing around with a ukulele. But it's fine. <laughs> All right, we're going to start with our first segment, like we always do, What You've Been Discing, where each one of us talks about one thing disc golf related that we are excited about. Nova, what you got? I've been throwing frisbees and getting paid. (laughs) And it's a good time. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've been discing. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Congratulations. That means you get to play more tournaments, which is... Oh, yeah, it is, because uh, I'm disc golf rich, which is another way of saying broke. Basically, uh, winnings translates to the next tournament's entry fee. Nice. Yeah. All right, Kim, what you got? Okay. Um, I know you brought this up on the last episode, or at least Liz did, but I ended up winning the Glassblown Open, at least in the Masters Women, the 40-plus division for professionals. And this meant, to a certain degree, a lot to me in the sense that this is the first time that division has ever been successfully played out at the Glassblown Open. Um, Doug and the other organizers there have known that we've wanted this. We've wanted the Masters Women Division because there's the Masters Men Division and there's the amateur women who also get the 40-plus division, but we haven't had the professional one. And so this year we were able to pull it off. Hopefully next year and the following years we'll have more participation in it, but we did have a master's women's division for the professionals at this Glassblown yeah. Open. And so in a certain sense, that kind of, I would think that makes me the inaugural winner of that division <laughs> at, at this go. tournament. Yeah, yeah. But really it meant a lot to me that we were able to pull this off yeah. because you will often look at the divisions for a tournament and you'll see MPO, you'll see MP40, you may even see MP50, right. and then there'll be FPO, mm-hmm. and there won't be anything beyond that. Mm-hmm. So I would like to see that division be offered more in the future. Yeah. And so it was neat to have that at the GBO this year. Yeah, that's really good. It's really, really good. So for mine, I'm going to go a little bit philosophical here and go with a topic or an idea rather, and that is being honest with yourself. And I think it's 
really, really hard to really be honest with yourself, which is why it's like so important to have good people in your life that can can tell you things. Um, but I have kind of a, a couple examples of it from the last two weeks. So I played back to back tournaments and two weeks ago we played uh, down in Ottawa at the Kansas Crush. And <laughs> once again, it was a very wet week. <laughs> it seems to be the theme. So footing was a little funky. There was mostly teen off of the grass or very small tee pads and things of that nature. Um, but there's a lot of short holes too. And I had a disc that was just working really well for me and feeling really good in my hand and feeling like I had a lot of control over. And I came up to a hole that I think was about 220 feet. And what happens to me a lot when I approach a hole in a tournament is my brain goes into thinking, okay, what would a 900 rated female pro play here, right? Like kind of this idea of... I know what quote unquote is supposed to be thrown. So like in my mind, it's like, well, I should throw a mid range because that I'll have more control over and that's, you know, whatever the right thing to do. But I stopped myself and was like, Becca, what are you throwing well today? Where is your game really at right now? What do you feel like you can get there well? And then also, is there any danger if you go long? So instead I took this driver that was working well for me and I threw it and I put it right under the basket and so it was kind of cool to just have this moment of honesty with myself that I sometimes struggle with and the quote from Nova that I'm always using that the measure of a disc's worth is what it does when I throw it and so that was really neat and then yesterday I didn't play terribly but I didn't play maybe super great and I missed some things that I thought I should have gotten um, and my rating is maybe better on the day than what I feel like I played. But I was kind of able to, to look back on it and kind of think through, okay, where are things at? How do I get better? And realize that I played these two tournaments. I played a competitive round with you guys about four weeks ago. And outside of that, I've had one day of 20-minute field work in the last two months. <laughs> and that It's been a wet it's spring. It's just the weather's been terrible. Madness. Right? I, I'm just going to come out and say this. Um, I'm at this point tired of the weather. Yeah. And I mean that in the sense that... We need less weather. Leading yeah. up to the Glassblown right. Open, all the tournaments I played, basically I had like one day of prep right. because of all of the weather leading up to it. It's either going to be raining, it's going to be snowy, something like that. Last week at Kansas, we played in a, basically a swamp. Right. And I had written on my, my tournament review that I post to Facebook you know, I need to get out and do field work. There's work I need to right. do. I I have so much rust that I still haven't genuinely shaken off. And what happened this week between Kansas and the Diva Fever? We had four days of rain. Yep. And the day it didn't rain, it rained the night of the tournament. Right. Excuse me, the night leading into the tournament, the morning of the tournament. Right. So we had essentially four and a half days of rain between the event that uh, I finished and the event that we played. If I really stop and think about what we've done, at least for myself this year, mm -hmm. I've had one round of golf right. in good weather. Right, totally. One. 
And that was the first round of the Glass Blown Open. Right. But the Lawrence Open, mm-hmm. the Kansas Crush, yep. the Diva Fever, and yep. even to a lesser extent, the Longview Open, it has not been great weather for golf. Right. And it's, I am ready at this point <laughs> to bake in the 99 <laughs> degree sun just so I don't have Come to Come to my side. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Just so I don't have to deal with playing in two to three inches right. of mud with 25 to 30 gusting winds. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for calm, hot weather at this point. Oh, totally. And I think that's like good perspective to take through the rest of the season. And kind of goes back to that being honest point, right? Because like a lot of times I go into tournaments that I haven't practiced and I expect myself to perform the way that I would if I had been practicing, right? So I, I feel really, really good though after yesterday because I feel like I know kind of exactly what I need to work on and uh, can hopefully, you know, build on build on what it's at and hopefully we get better weather, but I don't have control over that, so. I did want to comment on one of the things that you brought up, which was knowing what just to throw in the moment, knowing mm-hmm. what's working well for you. Um, one of the things Elaine King has said, um, and I like this, is that you take the path of least resistance. And mm-hmm. sometimes the path of least resistance is the line that is open to your ability. Yeah. Even if an opposite line may be clearer, mm-hmm. you just don't have the shots to make it. Yeah. So you take the path of least resistance. And one of those things... Yes, you might be able to make it there with this disc, but if that disc isn't working for you today, that's the higher resistance path. Use the disc that's working because you're going to be confident, you're going to trust it, and the result probably about 95% of the time is going to be better than if you had Mm -hmm. taken the more resistive path. Absolutely. It's really good. Yeah, defo. Like like if you're just not getting a good hit on your drive because you're all bundled up in a parka Mm -hmm. or the ground is squishy and you're not getting good uh, follow-through, and you step up to a hole and you're like, I can throw a putter or a mid on this every time, but on that given day, that's not going to work. Go ahead and throw a fairway driver. You know, don't don't give in to pride. Pride's messing yes, with you. Exactly. It never helps. Absolutely. It exactly. always hurts. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. All right, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Coach Nova's red hot tip top tip. My favorite segment. Ladies First Disc Golf is the most comprehensive retailer for women's disc golf needs. With over 50 five-star reviews on Google and Facebook, listen to what their customers have to say. Veronica B says, I love the selection they have. Discs popular with women can be hard to find, but not here. I love the t-shirts and hoodies. I live in them. Nikki N says, I love every product I've gotten from LFDG. Customer service is fantastic and fast shipping. If you are looking for stylish and comfortable disc golf apparel and discs for women disc golfers of all skill levels, Ladies First Disc Golf has your needs covered. For Ladies of the Chains listeners, we're offering an exclusive 20% off discount on your next order of $19 or more. Visit ladiesfirstdiscgolf.com and use code LOTC20 at checkout. It's time for Coach Nova's Red Hot Tip Top Tips. Quick clips of gripping tips and surprising advising with no compromising. Coming to you bi-weekly on the Ladies of the Chain. Hey everybody, Coach Nova here. True story, I have a fraternal twin, but we were separated at birth by fate, and my twin turned evil as a result. Today, I present a special guest host, Evil Coach Nova. Evil Coach Nova, take it away. 
It's time for Evil Coach Nova's Red Hot Tip Top Tips. Quick clips of gripping tips and surprising advice with no compromising. Coming to you on the Ladies of the Chains. Hey everybody, Evil Coach Nova here. Today, I'm here to tell you to take all the drugs. Half of you are already picking up your phones to at me on Twitter. Joke's on you. I don't have a Twitter account. The rest of you, keep listening. While the really potent performance-enhancing drugs are, in no particular order, illegal to abuse, banned from use in competition, and unethical, there's a lot you can legally and ethically do to keep you sharp and tip-top all the way through the day. Pack snacks to keep your brain going. Your little brain consumes half of all the glucose, that is, sugar, which is used in your body. If your sugar gets low, you get stupid. I don't think I need to get out the crayons to show you where this is going. Are you a sleepyhead in the morning? Drink coffee. For bonus points, wash down a chocolate bar with the coffee. That's caffeine, glucose for your brain, and theobromines, which are also a stimulant to lay a triple whammy on somnolescence. I've heard some dietitians say that the boost from sugar is a temporary one, and leaves you worse off when it wears off. I don't know, eat another one, I guess. Keep doing it until the round is over. If you're over 35, you're old enough to use smelly hot muscle balms and creams for your aching muscles. They work. Put down your pride and pick up the Flexol 454 or the Icy Hot. If you get allergy sniffles, then make sure you're loaded up on your allergy medicine of choice before you even head for the course. Don't wait until you're sneezing. By then, it's too late. And now, I want to talk to you about Adderall. Nope, nope, nope. That's all for this week. Thanks, Evil Coach Nova. Time to go. Get back in the box. Hey, st- go on, go on. Get back. Let, get, let get, go. get back in the Watch box. The get in there. Get in I there. I need an adult. Proper nutrition is tip-top, but proper chemistry is red-hot tip-top. And we're back with our women's disc golf trivia Hall of Fame edition. Shout out to Sarah Nicholson. She gave me the idea to do a Hall of Fame edition, and I love it so much that I think we're going to do it again when the Hall of Fame Classic comes around. Uh, But last week, Sarah uh, was the TD at the Magnolia Open that was at the International Disc Golf Center, where the Disc Golf Hall of Fame is located. All right, so I'm going to ask you three questions. If you know the answer, go ahead and shout it out. I can already tell you I don't. Fun. That makes it so much more fun. (laughs) I am deeply concerned about how this is going to (laughs) work. It's fine. I will. This is going on my permanent record, isn't it? Well, here's how it works. If you don't know the answer, I'll ask you both for guesses. Whoever comes closest theoretically gets a point for theoretical that we decided last time. uh, Trivia bag tags that or. If, it, know, if, it's a, if it's a numerical value, can we prices write it? Yes. Lupe established that precedent last time, so All right. We're good. <laughs> All right. Okay, question number one. How many women are in the Disc Golf Hall of Fame? Oh, wow. Um, I'll go 16. Nova? Um, I'm going to go 12. Oh, somebody should have priced it right it because Nova was close, but did go over. It's 11. Ah, good golly. <laughs> well, okay. It's okay. We'll give Nova the point. Well, I was, I work, I was working, I was working backwards. There's a, there's 105 men and <laughs> right? the PDGA is 8% women. 
I'm lying. Yeah. I'm lying. I was going to take 11 too. And then I just said, <laughs> no, it can't possibly be that. There has to be more of us. It's, and now. No, no, it's, it, it really is that disappointing. 11 yeah. for now. Okay. For now. Next question. How many Hall of Fame women are not originally from the U.S.? Of the 11? Of the 11. Two. She took my answer, so I'm going to go one. And with the Price is Right strategy, Nova takes the second point. (laughs) Go tokenism. I will give uh, Kim a chance for a half of point bonus that I just made up on the spot. Do you know who that is? No. (laughs) Oh, boy, you're going to hate me for this so much that I put you on the spot because it's Elaine King since she is from from Canada. Canada. Yeah, she's the only one. Unless I messed up my research, but I'm pretty sure I'm yeah, right. Yeah, and here I am stretching my mind for the old European players. And right. <laughs> that shows my North American bias there. you there. go. I know, right? Seriously, it was, it was a tough question. Okay. Last question for this round. Who was the first woman inducted into the Disc Golf Hall of Fame? Any guesses? This is a tough one, so I won't fault you if you have no guesses. That was more fun if you try. <laughs> oh, the silence. <laughs> No, because it's got to predate both Elaine and Juliana. Right. So, yep. so now. Yeah, I got I got nothing. I'm a, I'm a punk kid. I'm sorry. You know, this is good, though, because I feel like I've found maybe that this segment should just be called Becca Stumps Her Friends. Because I <laughs> so like this far, plan. It's a good plan. This is how it's been. So the first woman inducted was Vanessa Chambers in 1993, which was the first year of the Disc Golf Hall of Fame. So I'm just going to go on record here. If you're going to do this, you need to have um, like Des in one of these seats and Elaine in the other <laughs> and let them do this. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll just ruin it. Because. <laughs> All right. So Elaine and Des, you have an open invite for the week or two before the Hall of Fame Classic to come on and school us all in the women's disc golf trivia. I'm totally down for that. That would be awesome. Just school us in general. Yeah, that's yeah, also school true. School us in general. <laughs> Excellent point. All right. Now we come to our discussion topics. And I've asked my two co-hosts to bring some topics in. And Nova actually took to the internet, to Facebook, to ask for some ideas. So Nova, why don't you start us off with those? I'd be glad to. You're right. Um, I uh, went out on my uh, Facebook profile page because I'm super lazy and uh, asked my readers what I should talk about. And I got two responses. So I'm going to cover both of them. Uh, Anna Hare uh, asked me to talk about mental game. I mean, literally, that's it. It's just the word mental game. Um, And I'm like, well, not a question, (laughs) but I can talk about it. Um, Honestly, I could talk about mental game for the whole show, but I'm going to try and do it here in 90 seconds. We'll see how it happens. For me, there's uh, two elements of mental game that have helped me make some big and positive changes in the last year, and I'm not exaggerating at all. Um, The first um, change or idea are part of it, uh, comes from Japan, from the pen of a Gunam manga author, uh, Kishiro Yukito. He wrote, uh, and I'm going to quote here, even if you face something you can't comprehend, accept it, calmly observe, and secure your position. Now, I think he wrote it in Japanese. That's the translation. But anyway, in the comic that he was writing, he was talking about the unexpected happening in battle. But it's a good advice in solo sports, too. Basically, when something has happened or is still happening on the course that has got you rattled, you can't waste time wishing that it had not happened or wishing that it's not happening. It did or it is. 
accept that this is the situation. It is real. And everything that has happened has led you to where you are now. To do otherwise is to waste time and mental energy on wishful thinking or self-pity. Calmly observe what is happening so that you can understand how to carry yourself in this situation and protect yourself and proceed from there. The other element is managing my inner monologue. Uh, like a lot of players, I used to say or think mean things to myself when I was playing poorly. If I missed a putt or wimped out on a drive or I made a really foolish choice of some sort, I'd mumble or think to myself that I'm an idiot, a fool, a moron, a jerk, that I had no business being out there. And what do I even think I'm doing? Thing is, if I or any of you had a caddy who said that something like that to you, you'd tell them to shut up because denigrating like language like that, it doesn't help. It always hurts. Maybe you'd even fire them on the spot, take your bag back, and send them away. So if your caddy can't be cruel to you, you ought not do it to yourself either. And really, this ties back to the first element that I just talked about a second ago, and that is accepting that whatever is happening is real. Uh, just like you can't waste time feeling self-pity, you also can't waste time being mad at yourself. You made a bad throw, and now you're in the rough. It happened. Accept it and figure out your next throw. You can't do that with a clear head if you're too busy just chewing yourself out. There will be plenty of time to hate yourself or feel pity for yourself on the drive home if you really must do that. Don't waste time doing it while you're competing. Again, it never helps, it always hurts. I wanna give a shout out to Cynthia Ricciotti. Cynthia did her first solo all by herself clinic uh, at on Friday uh, at it's part of the Diva Spring Fever, and she did such a great job. The women that came just really got a lot out of it, and she she was just wonderful. She was an absolute delight, and she talked a little bit about the mental game, and it was something really simple, but I thought something really good and something that I used about like when you are you know getting nervous, if you're getting too much in your head, to really just go to your happy place, right? <laughs> to just mentally take yourself somewhere that feels safe, and she was... Right. She said, you know, whether that's my room or with my dog or anything else. And I had encountered a 10 week old golden retriever puppy also on Friday. So I used that mental image a bit yesterday and it was really nice. And I thought that was a great tip. So shout out to Cynthia. I hope she does more and more clinics in the future. She's got a really good knack for it. And I think she'll do great at that. Take the path of least resistance. Yeah, we just I just mentioned that a little while ago, but. So Anna, if you come to your lie and you honestly don't know what you're supposed to do, take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. And that means both what is within your ability and the conditions and what discs you currently have. So sometimes laying up rather than running the putt is the path of least resistance. You're gonna lose a stroke, but you're gonna lose a stroke and not two or three. Same thing with uh, looking at a drive, seeing OB on several sides. Play it carefully and deliberately put your disc in the middle of the fairway, even though you're not going to get the distance you might have otherwise wanted. Mm -hmm. You're going to throw another stroke, perhaps, but you're not going out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Always take the path of, path of least resistance unless you are in a situation where playing risky is going to be a benefit to you. Mm -hmm. And you'll know when those moments are because 
Those are moments that will push you into a different place in the tournament, perhaps win it for you. But if you are looking at a shot and you honestly don't know what to do, you don't have the confidence at that moment, take the path of least resistance. All right. What else did you have, Nova? I had one other question. Uh, Katie Hudgens uh, asked me to talk about warm-up routines. Mm -hmm. And again, literally, all she wrote was just warm-up routines. There (laughs) there was no question mark. Anyway, um, I am pretty simple in this regard. I warm up to play disc golf by playing more disc golf. If it's a shotgun start at a tournament, I like to show up early and play as much of the course as I can, preferably all the way through. Then I do a few putts in the practice basket when it's time to stay close to Tournament Central because the players meeting is imminent. And after that, I hustle out to the starting hole and mash some drives and I throw up shots from the drives. And then I try to throw putts from the up shots as much as I can up until the two minute warning. When the round starts, I want to already be hot, maybe even sweaty, depending on the season. I want to be a little bit out of breath and basically already feeling the way I would in the middle of a round when everything's already really clicking. Because um, if I don't, then the front nine is, is my warm up and it's, I'm going to be cold and I'm going to be stiff and I'm going to be bad. What do you do during a tea time? When you don't I, have that option. I'm glad you asked. I, uh, I find some place, any place I can, to just get myself worn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a field across the street, I go across the street. Um, if there's not a field across the street, I'll just run around like an idiot uh, just to get myself heated up. I'll do uh, towel snaps where I just find a piece of sidewalk that's about as big as a tee pad, and I'll just throw fake drives whipping a towel around instead of a disc. Uh, I I want to be winded. I want to be huffing and puffing on hole one. So I don't get as warm, I guess, as Nova does. But I understand exactly what she's talking about because of, you know, for example, tennis. I always talk about tennis, but I'm going to bring that up. There's a pretty generous warm-up period before you play a tennis match, and you try to practice everything that you're doing there. You're going to practice serving. You're going to practice returning. You're going to practice volleying. And your opponent is pretty much doing the same thing at the same time because you're sharing the court and you're rallying back and forth just so you're loosening everything loosening everything up sorry about that um so i kind of get into that mm-hmm. point um i'm not going to play like half a round or a whole round or something like that but if on a shotgun start if i have time to play a couple holes i'm definitely going to do that i'm also going to perhaps like throw four or five drives out into the field, then practice upshotting to, like, excuse me, up the fairway, and then practice throwing the upshots from there and then practice some putting. I want to try to have a little bit of variety in what I'm warming up. And I want to have my muscles loose, but I don't want to feel like I've been out there too long. But there's also, um, I know um, Disc Golf Strong is going to have a lot of advice on how to stretch properly prior to playing I do stretch. I take some time to stretch either as I would have as a runner or a tennis player or something like that to at least get the muscles a little bit prepped for that type of activity. Um, tea times are a little bit harder, as she said, because you don't always have the mm-hmm. space to work with. Um, but even then, still try to do your best with what the what space is available. So real talk, 
I hate warming up. Thank I you. I hate it. The least favorite part of every tournament for me is in between the players meeting and when I actually get to throw the dang disc in competition. I hate waiting around. Let's just get around to it. But you mentioned disc golf strong. That's been really, really good for me because I am getting older. And if I don't warm up at all, I am going to hurt myself and be a very, very sad Becca. So the disc golf strong warm up routine takes four minutes. I think it's actually a little less than four minutes. That's something I can do without whining and complaining. That's something I can do by my tee pad while I'm waiting to tee off. So that's my first step. I want to incorporate some more into my life for sure. But that's something that I know I can at least do. Uh, I, I'm simpatico with you in the regard that I don't like warm up for its own sake. Mm-hmm. Um, I played a lot of sports, uh, uh, junior high, high school. Um, warm up is so boring. Yeah, exactly. And it is so repetitive. <laughs> um, you know, isometric exercises are a, a really strenuous way to go nowhere. <laughs> And I, I I get it. I don't do them either. That's um, that's that's why when I'm warming up, I warm up by doing something that's fun, and that's playing disc golf. I play disc golf so I can play more disc golf, and then when I'm done playing disc golf, maybe I'll play disc golf. All right, Kim, what topic did you bring for us today? Okay, I want to talk about the struggle to get better, and I'm going to introduce this by saying when I go to a Chinese restaurant or a Mongolian barbecue or other restaurant that offers chopsticks as an alternative to traditional Western cutlery, I usually offer to teach my coworkers or whomever I'm with if they, if they would like to learn. Now, a lot of people find chopsticks fascinating and want to use them, but what happens when I offer to teach is usually I demonstrate followed by some adjustments of finger position and grip, and then one or two failed attempts by the person I'm teaching and then giving up immediately. This is hard. This is hard. This is hard. And it's always something a matter of, well, it's too difficult to learn this, or it would take too much time, or it's just easier to use cutlery because you're already familiar with it. And the message here is, if you read into all of that, so the reasons that prevent somebody from learning a new skill is that they weren't really wanting to learn it. Mm. It's not more difficult to use chopsticks than it is to use cutlery. You just don't remember the struggle to use cutlery because right. you were taught it when you were very young. And there was a lot of learning when you were young that you don't remember. Knives, spoons, and forks may seem intuitive to you, but that's because you've used them all your life. Using chopsticks is a new skill. And the truth is that learning a new skill is hard. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't hard, then anyone who ever wanted to use chopsticks would do it or play guitar or write gaming code (laughs) or anything that requires Mm -hmm. time and dedication to develop. This is hard. It's not easy. So... For myself, I learned chopsticks kind of in the same way I just described. One of my friends, Dan Carpenter, introduced it to me when we were at a Chinese buffet once. And he showed me what he did. I fumbled around for a bit. And then I spent the next couple months, weeks, whatever, in the coming year getting better at it because it was something I genuinely wanted to know how to do. And once somebody had showed it to me, I suddenly had the incentive I needed to keep going at it. I was not a master at it when I first started. 
took me a while to get good at it, but now that I have it, it's, it's something I'm happy with. Now let's talk about this in terms of disc golf. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us are going to get better at our dominant shot off the tee or how we upshot or putting simply by repetition. It's almost brute force in the sense because if you do anything enough times, you're going to make the physical and mental adjustments to get better at that thing you're doing because that's who we are as people. A lot of our learning with repetition is kind of a subconscious thing. You see what works, you try to mimic it, it goes from there. And you may not have the best form or the most optimal form, but what you're doing, you are going to get good at that. You may have to break it down and relearn it later once you realize what you're doing wrong, but you'll be good at the thing that you're doing in the moment or the, the method of what you're, you've currently taught yourself to throw the disc. So you're going to go out to leagues, you're going to play casual, you're going to just go out with friends, and you're going to get better at the thing that you are doing. Now I'm going to relate this back to chopsticks because adding a new shot to your game is going to be hard. You're not going to have that typical repetition that you're going to get from just throwing backhands or forehands if you're the dominant, or forehand dominant, excuse me. So if you don't throw a backhand and you want to learn a backhand, that is hard. If you don't throw a forehand and you want to throw a forehand, that is hard. Same with a roller or a thumber or a tomahawk or a turbo putt. Any of these things that you see other players do, that took a lot of time to master. It's not something that they just picked up two, you know, two attempts like, oh, I'm really good at chopsticks. Now I'm good at throwing backhands or two attempts. Now I'm good at throwing thumbers. It takes time. So I have a story a little bit about learning forehands and I was going to tell, but now when I think about it, I don't necessarily <laughs> need, to, need to talk about that. Um, if you want to learn how to, th- how to throw a forehand, there's a lot of good videos online from people like Sarah Hokum and Nate Sexton and Jessica Weiss and uh, the really dominant forehand players that you can learn for the how-tos. But where it gets down to it is you have to want to get better and you have to accept the fact that you're going to be bad at something for several weeks or months before it starts being a functional stroke for you. One of the things I did when I learned to throw forehands is on my practice rounds, if I saw a line that I could take a backhand or forehand on, I would always take the forehand line. I would force myself to take the forehand line because I knew I needed the practice. It was easier to take the backhand line like using silverware, but I didn't. I would continuously take the forehand. And I've been working on this now constantly for a year and a few months, and I'm still, I still haven't mastered it. Um, There's a lot of the intricacies of forehands that I don't know, or I shouldn't say don't know, haven't gotten good at. Mm -hmm. um, Angle of release compared to the stability of the disc, throwing uphill or downhill and the proper release angle for that, mastering it against the wind. These are all, all a lot of things on a your dominant throw that you just kind of figure out with repetition because you're always doing it. But if it's a shot you're not familiar with, it's hard. Push through that. Mm -hmm. Find ways to make it challenging or more fun. And I I can't really tell you what that is going to be because it's going to be personal for you. You are going to find the way to make it fun. But if you want to get better at something, you will do it. It's not going to be something you try once, fail, and then put away. 
I agree. I'm I'm kidding, but no, I do agree. Uh, yeah, I'm going through the forehand thing right now because um, I've been leaning on like uh, turnovers and sky annies on the backhand side for honestly way too long mm-hmm. um, because you know the turnover shots and the sky annies on the backhand side are not the same shape as a simple forehand. Uh, you know they they go for a back uh, for a righty. You know, they, the disc finishes left to right, but it finishes left to right in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. So I've owned up that I need to learn a forehand. And yeah, it's it's difficult. It is really hard on the pride. Yeah. Uh, pride is telling me, why are you doing this? You know, throw backhand, you're amazing at them. <laughs> uh, but um, call back, pride never helps. It always hurts. Because, you know, she's right. The spins are different. The speed of release are, is different. The result of the forehand is going to be different than a turnover or an Anheuser shot, something like that. And it is going to take some some hits on your pride. Uh, when I first started throwing forehands, it was within a few months of me getting into disc golf. Mm-hmm. I saw some of the forehand players like Sarah Hoke and were like, I want to throw like that. Oh, my God, I want to throw like that. Everybody wants to throw like that. And then you put discs, or me specifically, put discs in the earth or in trees or in the rough or something like that. And then then I put that throw down and I didn't pick it up again for several months. And it was one of those things where, all right, you throw into the rough and the only out you have is a forehand. So you're forced by necessity to try it. And maybe it works. But then you go to the practice field and it doesn't again. So then you put it down. Mm-hmm. And... When I was at women's, uh, U.S. Women's in 2017, and I watched Ashley Conley and um, Daniel Wigand take Harmon Hills kind of apart using forehands, I'm like, okay, I can't rely on making a backhand mimic those lines anymore. I'm going to have to learn this stroke if I want to be competitive at the next level. And if you want to, you will find the, the desire to do it, you know, it I can't harp on that fact enough. It's hard to learn something that you're not familiar with. And it, as Nova said, it's going to hit your pride until you can get good at it. And I, a year and a half, I'm still making mistakes, but I'm, but I'm going to get this stroke. I am going to make this work. Yeah. I'm, I'm chasing, uh, I'm chasing after a good forehand, uh, like, like a heroin addict chasing the dragon. <laughs> I, when I first uh, first took it up, I uh, threw a really nice forehand one day, uh, probably went about I don't know two bucks fifty, and just nice beautiful line uh, hit the hit the gap, went into the woods on the in just the right spot, and I have been trying to do that throw again ever <laughs> since. I want it to happen; it will happen. Yeah, on the same line of that. Two years ago at the Lawrence Open, I threw what can only be described as a monumental roller in practice. It was kind of near um, like hole 12's basket or something like that. And it went all the way down the fairway, almost to the street, to the point where I had people, as I was going to retrieve my disc, say, oh my God, that was a great roller. That was a great roller. And I'm like, yes, I've got this shot. (laughs) That was like the third attempt I'd ever had at throwing a roller. I've never mimicked it since. Every single time I've tried to throw a roller, it's been catastrophic since then it's just like where is that roller i threw at the lord's open and well actually no it was centennial sorry centennial sorry rob martin but the desire to 
to learn that shot hasn't hit me like it learned the forehand mm-hmm. yet, so I haven't picked it up. It's like the chopsticks. I'm like, oh, I can do something other than a roller. I can do something other than a roller. And then I watch Nova park a shot with a roller. Or I'll watch Cat park a shot with a roller. I'm like, no, I need that <laughs> shot. But I haven't been able to push through the pride of being bad at it yet. Come to the roller side. I think the only thing I would add to that as I'm thinking about it here, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit um, to give hope and because it's something to be excited about. It's your show. Well, fair enough. (laughs) It's all of our show. Anyway, uh, so two years ago was my very first tournament, my first uh, Diva Spring Fever. Happy anniversary. And thank you. And I am an immensely better disc golfer than I was two years ago. I mean, ratings wise, I threw around yesterday that was almost 200 points better than two years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So the consistency is better. I've learned so much. But in the process of learning where I'm at right now, I've lost a little bit too, certainly in terms of distance. And that first tournament, I had some crazy drives and I didn't know what I was doing, but just natural athletic ability, dumb luck, whatever, I I hit some stuff that I maybe haven't been able to exactly recreate since because my form is better and more consistent and I'm watching my reach back and all of these things. So yeah, maybe I lost a little bit and I'll hopefully get it back, you know, as I, I continue to grow. But I think that's part of the process of getting better sometimes too. Yes, is that you absolutely. Gain consistency, but lose maybe a little bit of that extra something that you had before. Well, that that something you had before was false. Right. You were you were you were yeah. getting there through through means that have no future. Right. 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 And at the McBeast Challenge a couple of years ago, with it um, when Nate Sexton and Paul Macbeth came to Rosedale, um, one of the things both of them spoke about when they were breaking down how to actually do an X step or what where people mess up an X step is if you take everything that they have shown and then start to apply it to your own game unless you're already doing all of that you're going to get worse before you get better and you have to accept the fact that you're going to get worse before you get better because as I said earlier you can get really good at the thing that you're doing, even if that's not the most optimal way of doing it. And so if you have to unlearn something that you've taught yourself and it works for you, that is hard. Your pride is going to take a hit as you suddenly see, man, I used to be able to get 300 feet on this. Why am I only getting 220 now? Well, there's going to be some time as you were recalibrating your footwork or making certain you reach back further, it's not muscle memory at this point. You have to reteach yourself everything that took you two years to learn the wrong way. If you want to get better, you have to push through the pain of being bad. So Nova, you have another topic for us that you're really passionate about, and I think it's really important. So uh, yeah, give that to us. Oh boy, yeah. (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) No, what I'm gonna talk about is- Put your seatbelt on. Yeah, stop smoking and uh, raise your seat up. And uh, some of you will need to retreat to your safe space and assume the crash position. Um, yeah, no, this is a, it's a pretty deep and contentious issue. And uh, honestly, I could do a solo deep dive episode 
that runs for a whole hour on just this one subject, but I'm not going to. Uh, I'm just going to hit the highlights. And that subject is the policy on eligibility for gender protected divisions. A little over a month ago now, on April 4th, on PDGA.com, the PDGA staff announced a policy update. And this is a little wordy, and I'm just going to quote it here because I can't paraphrase it and make it shorter than what they wrote. It reads, quote, Previously, the PDGA recognized the International Olympic Committee, IOC, Medical Commission's 2003 Statement of the Stockholm Consensus on Sex Reassignment in Sports in Determining Eligibility for Gender-Protected Divisions. The IOC has since revised its policy with the Consensus Meeting on Sex Reassignment and Hyperandrogenism, November 2015, and the new PDGA policy is in alignment with this latest IOC standard. End long quote. The TLDR on this is, in short, the PDGA had a policy on the eligibility of transgender players, which was aligned with what the IOC thought was best back in 2003. Then after spending over a decade looking at the matter, doing research, gathering data, and working with experts, the IOC came up with a more thorough policy in 2015, and the PDGA now is going along with that too. Quick spoiler alert aside, the Stockholm Consensus dates back to 2003. That's 16 years ago. The experts have been working on this for over a decade, and transgender athletes have been eligible to compete in the Olympics all that time, and the sky has not fallen on us. The feared armies of, uh, scare quotes, men in dresses ruining women's sports because YOLO, and scare quotes, has completely failed to be a problem. It was right there in black and white. If an Olympian is transgender, here's how to do it. Now, if there was a huge advantage to be had, surely ultra-competitive national teams at the most elite global level would have had their armies of transgender players ready to go and rush in and claim all that easy gold, right? Yeah, no, it didn't happen. And it's still not happening because that's not reality. Anyway, back to the policy. Basically, all the hubbub boils down to one word, testosterone. And who has it? Who doesn't have it? How much of it does someone have? Have they had it recently? And how does this affect a player's eligibility for the women's division? The purpose of the standard is to ensure fairness by making sure that anyone who is enjoying the competitive advantages gained by the presence or recent presence of testosterone in their bloodstream are not competing against people who don't have this. Most commonly, this most directly affects transgender people, both men and women. Quick vocabulary lesson. When educated people are talking about transgender men or women, they refer to the person by the gender that they are transitioning towards. In other words, someone born phenotypically male who develops as male and then proceeds to transition to female is a transgender woman. Someone who is born phenotypically female, develops as female, and then transitions to male is a transgender man. Moving on. For transgender men, the policy is pretty straightforward. Once they begin using testosterone hormone therapy to induce a physical transition to male, they become ineligible to compete in the women's divisions. Just bam, like that. They're done. 
This is super straightforward and it should make intuitive sense. For transgender women, it's more complicated because the policy has to ensure that not only does the athlete not have an excessive quantity of testosterone in her bloodstream, but also that she has had an acceptably low level for a long enough time that any lingering strength or endurance that had been previously present has had time to diminish as well. There's two paths to compliance in the eligibility policy. One is centered around ongoing hormone therapy, which suppresses the effects of testosterone, which requires frequent and ongoing monitoring of the level of testosterone in the blood, signed statements from physicians, and continued adherence to the hormone therapy. If the player stops the therapy or doesn't keep up on her lab tests, she loses eligibility. The other path is titled gender reassignment surgery, and that is what it sounds like. Without testes secreting testosterone into the bloodstream, because they are no longer even there, it follows that of course the body's testosterone levels will plummet and stay down. Even so, such an athlete is still required to provide documentation from a physician and a year's worth of blood tests showing the reduced testosterone levels. I hope this information helps to show that the PDGA is basing their policy on sound scientific research and expertise. I've heard some pretty wild and fearful thoughts on this matter out on the internet and on social media, and my goal here is to replace fear with information and to replace misunderstanding with understanding. Now, I've discussed this and advocated this with a lot of people on the, on the internet and the social media I was just talking about, and there's been a lot of alarmist and sensationalistic low information opinions expressed with varying degrees of respectfulness to the human beings in question. And honestly, I don't want to give these opinions the time of day by repeating them here. Let me just say this. If your understanding of biology and gender can be expressed in a one-sentence slogan, or if it would fit on a bumper sticker, or if you learned it in the sixth grade, and that's all you ever needed to know, then you don't know what you're talking about. And you really need to spend some time listening to the people who study this for a living, or the people who live through this every day, and who are not at all helped by reductionist slogans, which might make you feel good and comfortable, but which also deny the very humanity and existence of a group of people who are already excessively burdened by the effects of your ignorance. I want to address some of the stuff that came up in there. Um, Do. Well, one of the things you said was that a lot of people heard something in sixth grade or at whatever time, and that has stuck with them their entire life, and that is the factoid that they like to bring up. Good use of factoid. <laughs> well, science, contrary to what a lot of people take for granted, is not exact. It is basically a means of testing the world against our current understanding and then adapting it when new information is uncovered. And I think it's important to understand that nothing we we learn is necessarily sacrosanct. There's always going to be new understanding that we get. And so if you have heard something 20 years ago, 16 years ago, and suddenly new information comes up, doesn't mean 
the world is ending or that science is flawed. It means that our ability to gain information and to observe and analyze has provided us with new information and we are now reacting accordingly to this. We're getting smarter. And our ability to examine the world through our tools and our understanding is becoming sharper. And so sometimes there will be a decision made in 2003 that gets a revision in 2016 or 2019 or something like that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the new decision is wrong based off of what the old decision was. It means our understanding has changed. And I, I'm worried that there are a lot of people who assume science says one thing and then it says something else. So obviously, which one is correct? Well, it's always changing. Same thing with um, our understanding of physics mm -hmm. or astronomy or anything. We learn and we adapt. And sometimes biology is one of those things that at one point seemed like we understood something, but then further examination says, well, no, we didn't quite understand it the way we thought we did. This is, a, this is one of those topics where further examination and further investigation has provided us new insight and we are adapting as that happens. I found it very telling when Elaine King gave her interview with PDGA Radio that she said we had been living in a world where someone who was a transgender athlete could compete in Olympic shot put but they couldn't compete in disc golf. We've adapted and that has kind of been corrected and it's a very interesting thing to say, or statement to say, they could have competed in the Olympics, but not disc golf. And I'm, I'm kind of happy that that has become a little bit more in line, because as Nova said, the people who work for the IOC aren't doing this on a whim. There was a lot of scrutiny and a lot of care that went into this. It was not done to satisfy some quick, easy agenda. There was a lot of parties interested on all sides because the Olympics is a big organization with a lot of countries that have investment in it. It would not have been done haphazardly. I guess we should dive into the next part of what you were talking about. I think the idea that someone is going to submit themselves to this rigor in order to win a disc golf tournament or to be successful at disc golf is kind of a, a boogeyman. Um, well, number one, we prefer the term boogie person. Boogie person. <laughs> there we go. Um, we are kind of at a disc golf is growing, but they're the money involved in disc golf right now is not that big. And to can't be honest, confirm. To be honest, it's not that big in the Olympics either. But would you go through all of that biochemical changes to win at disc golf, to be good at disc golf? The only, I, I'm not, I, that's too broad a statement, but generally speaking, the person that would do that simply to win a disc golf event or, or something like that is trying to give an example of the monster that the media is portraying it to be. No one is going to wreck their life to win a sporting competition like that. Well, well yeah, uh, and because it's not just one-dimensional like that. Um, a disc golfer exists when they're not playing disc golf, too. Um, so, for example, the transition uh, in either direction, um, because society 
quite frankly, despises transgender people at the moment, um, they're going to lose a significant chunk of their family. You know, people who they dearly love may shun them. Um, a significant percentage of their friends uh, may shun them. Uh, employment is going to become more difficult. Uh, throughout the period of transition, they're going to look a little strange to most people's perceptions of attractiveness. This is... It's a very wrenching experience, and only a, only a lunatic would do it to prove a point or to go pursue disc golf riches, uh, because honestly, as the one person who would ever do that, they would be a pariah. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's make no mistake of that. If uh, motivated solely by the desire to stomp women into the mud, some MPO player decided to prove a crazy point and to do all this, excuse me, that was ableist, everyone would hate them for it. They, they would not be welcome at players' parties. You know, their, their RV would get egged. Um, and I think rightly so. I think that's just a really good summation, and thank you for that. I, was, I want to give a shout-out to the PDGA. I know that people criticize the PDGA, laud the PDGA for all sorts of reasons. And I think this is uh, just an opportunity to give credit where it's due because they formed this medical committee um, with, with Elaine King and, and others, uh, Seth Muncie and others as well. And number one on their agenda was this, this particular policy. And I was just, I was very heartened when I read it because it was just very scientifically sound, very clear um, as to how it, it would work in terms of, of disc golf and, and also inclusive. So to nail all of that is, is great. I mean, that's impressive. Um, yeah, I, I hadn't mentioned this yet, but uh, um, in, the, in the lead up to this episode, I've been corresponding with a uh, member of uh, both uh, the board of directors and the medical board mm -hmm. uh, without naming names, although you can narrow it down to a couple people just <laughs> by that. Um, and the, neither the board of directors nor the medical board and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't speak for the PDGA, N neither board appears to take seriously the notion that somebody would transition right. in either direction solely for a competitive advantage. That's not something serious people talk about. Mm -hmm. And disc, it was also pointed out to me um, very wisely, I think, that disc golf is a self-refereed sport. Mm -hmm. And part of that means we assume good intent and good faith on the part of everyone else who is playing the sport. Well, thank you both so much for bringing those topics. They were really good, really important stuff, and a good discussion. So we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, our women's event recap and FPO recap from the weekend. We'll be right back. And we're back. So we like to make a habit here on the podcast of shouting out the winners of women's only events around the country and around the world. And I'm very, very happy to report that there were several all women's events this weekend. And so I have all of the names in front of me. So here they come. Strap yourself in. I'm going to do the best I can to read these as clearly and quickly as possible. And before I even get started, a huge shout out to all of our TDs. As I was about two thirds of the way through these names, I realized I need to start shouting out TDs as well. So tournament directors, 
Thank you for all of your hard work this weekend and the many, many, many weeks it took leading up to these events to make them happen. Yeah, the people who help other people have fun are the best people in the world. True story. We love you, Rhonda and Ben. Also true story. All right, here we go. The Farmer's Daughters Open in Maine that we talked about last week on the podcast. In FPO, Nicole Pickle, Dionosio took the win. FA1, Casey Jodry. FA40, Tamara Coburn. FA50, Ellen Jones. FA60, Catherine McDevitt, our guest from last week. FA2, Crystal Putek. FA3, Chrissy Paulus. In the Miss McKenney tournament down in Texas, FPO was won by Christina Gold. FA40, Sylvia Gibson. FA50, Teresa Rowland. FA55, Bonnie Turner. FA65, Denise Gentry. FA2, Hannah Meek. FA3, Megan Kovalt. FA4, Lacey Walls. FJ10, Cameron Virgil. At the Kansas City Diva Spring Fever here in Kansas City, FPO was worn by Sarah Gilpin in a playoff with Emily Beach. It was awesome. FP40, Peggy Berry. FA1, Sarah Orara. FA40, Debbie Polkinghorn. FA50, Noemi Birkus. FA2, Julianne Courtney. FA3, Gloria Garrison. FA4, Amanda Harin. FJ12, Victoria Erling, and FJ10, Ava Meyer. At the Nova Women's Classic in Northern Virginia, FP40, Carol Silverthorne. FA1, Beth Kimball. FA40, Lindsay Sullivan. FA2, Ingrid Parada. FA3, Megan Stoll. FA4, Gabby Lungu. FJ18, Sydney Staples. And FJ12, Logan Stokes. Out at the West Virginia's Wonderful Women's Open, FA1 was won by Taylor Kramer, FA2, Deborah Chun, FA3, Gretchen Korika, and FA4, Sarah Miller. Do you want me to take over? I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm on a roll. <laughs> the Wild Horse Open in Oklahoma, FA1 was won by Carly Strange, FA40, Rochelle Browning, FA50, Angie Taylor, FA2, Kaylee Crossley, FA3, Elizabeth Cornish, FA4, Jennifer Hoffman, FJ12, Capri Garcia, and FJ8, Avin Windover. At the Women of the Woods in Washington State, FPO was won by Taylor Foth, FA1, Holly Rust, FA40, Christine Hustis, FA60, Rhonda Snyder, FA2, Deanne Johnson, FA3, Nicole Coleman, and FJ12, Ciara Griffiths. And finally, at the Michigan Women's Series Tournament, the Enchanted Woods Open in Michigan, FP40 was won by Alicia Grace Schaefer, FP40 Erin Oakley, FA1 Callie Howell, FA70 Nancy Wright. I shouted her out recently as well. Nancy Wright, I want to talk to you. Okay. FA2 Jen Trombley, FA3 Samantha Roberts, FA4 Amber Owens, and FJ15 Kiara Hulbert. Congratulations to everyone that competed this weekend. Apologies again for anyone's name I said wrong. I love you all. Okay, next we will do a recap of the big tournament this weekend, the San Francisco Open. And I was pretty busy with our local tournament here, but I was able to catch a little bit of the coverage. And I caught the last about back 10 of the live coverage today because it was pretty exciting and I didn't take a nap. I watched disc golf again. Story of my life. Anyway, (laughs) I really, really like this course. Um, It's one of my favorite ball golf courses to watch on film. Um, And this year it looked great. The coverage that I got to see was really, really good. And 
you know, the lead story of the weekend has got to be Katrina Allen because holy cow, is she on fire this year? It is nuts. So her second round was 1022 rated, which is pretty good. That was a clean 10 under, 10 birdies, no bogeys. That's that's pretty darn good. Uh, I would say she's pretty good at this disc golf I thing. I think maybe she should keep playing. And I, I will say, you know, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately that gets me jazzed and excited is to think about how dominant she was in 2014. And it's not like she's been bad the last five years, but to watch her maybe struggle a little bit, maybe fall off a little bit, and then and then come back like this is really exciting to me as a player because it kind of gives me that hope that, you know. Well, she was really dominant in 2016 as sure. well. I mean, right, right, you know, right. Cat, you know, I, I feel like quoting LL Cool J, you know, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> right, She's right. been here for years. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Definitely fair. But it, but it's true. Um, with Paige Pierce's ascendance in mm-hmm. 2017, 2018, a lot of people kind of started to dismiss Cat right. or saying that maybe her time had passed. And, you know, I don't know what was going on with her game or, or where her head was, but. Mm-hmm she always had all of the tools it was just a matter of putting it all back together and you're correct and it's refreshing to see her playing at that level again it's good for the game to have someone playing at that level challenging the other women and making them have a target because just like Paige put a target on herself this will put a target on cat people will want to try to play better to overtake her it's good when multiple women are at the top of the game playing yes. well and and i'm excited to see what happens for the rest of the season and boy is cat pushing page because part of the reason why i had a failed nap is that as soon as about as soon as i tuned into live coverage page hits an eagle yeah that 956 foot eagle what was that that was amazing is what it was that second shot especially oh. after hitting the tree off right. the drive yeah so good. no that was a fantastic shot and before i forget again i gotta give a shout out to valerie jenkins and nate doss because i really love their commentary i love hearing val's thoughts i think especially on the fpo coverage she just does a great job but anyway um so yeah i believe that got page to within one of cat no she was within two within two yeah, it was like thir- neg- yeah, yeah. 13 to neg 11 i think at That's one right. point which but... again really good scores and then uh yeah i i can't wait to watch the post-produced coverage of this uh round and, and round two especially because they just looked really really exciting um so page pierce ultimately ended in second it looks like a bigger spread score wise than than really it was because once she got it got within two she started you know pushing pretty hard trying to catch cat um and so made you know maybe some choices that she wouldn't have otherwise if she only was thinking about you know ratings or whatever she was trying to get there's a big enough gap between her and third place that there was no penalty to being risky right she was going to get second place and, so, on, and honestly, at that point, if if you want to win, you've got to take the big right. chances, and either it pays off or yeah. it doesn't. But it's a it's a mature and correct decision to start yeah, going yeah. for it at that point. Absolutely. So when we talk about, you'll know the deci- the points where taking the risks is better than taking the path of least resistance. There you go. That's a place where you take the risks, right. because if they pay off, suddenly you're in first, or you win the event, or or something like that. But the penalty for it really isn't going to hurt you too much because you've separated yourself from the rest of the competition. Mm -hmm. That's a point where take the risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Madison Walker put together a really great tournament to take solo third place. Yeah, and shout out to um, Paige Bierkus and Sarah Hokum for charging for third place as well. It was a battle Mm -hmm. for third. 
Yeah, and Jessica Weiss had about the best finish to a tournament you possibly can. She birdied the last four holes of the tournament, so good on her to uh, yeah climb up the leaderboard into ultimately, I think, which was sixth place. So, uh, yeah, really fun tournament. Again, uh, Parsave Productions will have the post-produced FPO coverage coming out, um, and uh, I'm really excited to check that out. All right, we have come to the end of the show. We have made it. So, Nova. Hey. What are you up to? Where can people find you out there? Uh, my YouTube channel has been pretty quiet lately, uh, just because I can't go outside and film in the rain. Right. <laughs> uh, but can't if you want to practice in the rain, <laughs> you can't do anything in the rain. I know it's. Uh, but if you want to keep up with what I'm up to, I've got a Facebook uh, player profile, uh, facebook.com/slash/bigsmoothdg, all one word. And Kim, what do you got going on? Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook name is Ari Sugawa, A-R-I-S-U-G-A-W-A. And although I haven't used it that much, I do have an Instagram, which is Ari Sugawa underscore DG. Kim, any shout outs before we get out of here? Yep. Um, first and foremost, uh, my teammate Sarah Hokum had a fantastic interview in the lead up to the San Francisco Open. And... I linked to it on my Facebook page, and you can probably just find it by Googling her name with San Francisco. on the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Disc Golf uh, Pro Tour page. page yeah, by okay. Zachary uh, Podhoser, yeah. She talks about the challenges for distance in the women's game, mm-hmm. as well as the challenges of a self-officiated sport and how that can go poorly at certain points. It's a fantastic interview a good read and i think that she was saying some important things that a lot of players are hesitant to bring up because Mm -hmm. they are touchy subjects and so definitely give it a chance and uh you know take the 15 minutes or whatever out of your day to look it up yeah nova shout outs yeah yeah we're recording on mother's day and uh, social media is pretty much wallpapered in floral print exhortations for everyone to be super kind to their mother today because mothers are the greatest thing ever so i've got a mother's day themed shout out for a large number of people out there what i just said is not true in fact it's galling there are some unbelievably bad mothers out there so for every listener out there who can't wait for the mother's day blitz to be over so you can go back to not thinking about your mom at all this shout out's for you I get you. What you're feeling is valid. And she really ought not have done whatever it was that she did. Good stuff. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. Thank you, as always, to DZ Discs, where the disc you see is the disc you get. Use the code guitar at checkout for new customers, and you will get a discount. Again, invitation to join our Women's Disc Golf Community Slack channel where you can chat with other women disc golfers from all around the country and all around the world. Get connected, get supported. Email me at ladiesofthechains at gmail.com for more information or you can reach out to me on Facebook or Danielle Charlier on Facebook as well. Everybody have a great, great week and we'll catch you here next time on the Ladies of the Chains Disc Golf Podcast. Bye.